you are listening to Infinite Beat on Sutro FM. I'm Topazu, and I am currently recording in my guest's home studio here in the Mission District of San Francisco. He is one of the founding members of Left Hand Path, a part of the TVOD Collective, and he has just put out a record on Nick Klein's label, Psychic Liberation. I have Nihar here. Hello. Hi. Hi. Happy Halloween. Oh my God, happy Halloween. <laughs> Our favorite time of year. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for coming back to the show. I think this is your third or fourth. fourth? I posted it once. This so. is your fourth. You're like a series regular now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but thank you for coming on to the show. Yeah, happy to be here. Very cool. Um, so you just put out a beautiful new record. So what do you want people to take away from this release? Well, I think that the release itself goes back to really the label it's on. I, I wrote it very much for Nick Klein's Psychic Liberation label, which mm. has actually, you know, under different names, been around for at least six years and I really appreciate the collection of um, of artists and releases that he has assembled there. He's, I think, a pretty smart and outside-of-the-box thinker. Um, and I think it's in good company. So, you know, we had been talking about a release for some time. And the, the music I wrote for this release, which is, in my opinion, of nicely brief release I, I mean, it's just two tracks on one side of vinyl which i just love that format i'm over the moon about it mm -hmm. um i like how utilitarian that format is but essentially i kind of wrote it to be you know, something that would i think fit in with the overall musical project of that label to an extent which is very much about you know to a certain extent music on the fringes and breaking boundaries and also um in certain sense, it's almost like a like a working person's label. Like, um, I don't know. The, there's there's something about the the very like uh, no nonsense um, aesthetic of that p specific release, which I think uh, is uh, you know it's for work. You, you you should put these tracks to work. That's kind of if there's anything to take away from it. If you're a DJ, please put these tracks to work. If you're not a DJ, maybe try DJing or or I hope you like listening to them. So. And this particular release comes with a pamphlet that you had written called Up Against the Music Industry for Renegade Future. So for you, why was it so important for you to write your thoughts on the state of the music industry today and include it with this particular release? Yeah, um, what's well interesting, I started writing this piece not at all to release it, not at all to put it out there, not at all to publish. Um, you know, I think a couple years ago, I felt really frustrated by my own existence within, you know, what we would call the music scene. You know, I've been running um, a, you know, party club for years. I've run several parties and clubs. And to a certain extent, those things were self-sustaining. We Sometimes, more often than not, I would say probably um, broke even, although 
sometimes we lost money, like like most people in that um, on the lower tier of that are. And I'd been you know operating as a DJ and producer for a while with you know and was relatively happy with the people I was meeting and the the world I, I felt like I was part of, which felt like there was a, a an expansion to it. Um, but a couple of years ago, I feel like things felt, maybe it was just by perspective, but things felt like they were very clo- much closing in. Mm-hmm. Um, things were becoming more and more difficult to sort of even break even in the club scene. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, it just felt like if you want to be an independent artist who is really doing this for the love of things, then you have to face bigger and bigger challenges. And those challenges felt, you know, they, they filled me and a lot of people around me with a lot of resentment. So I just looking around me, I see like, like resentment that was often, you know, I think hurled in different directions, hurled, you know, resentment between artists, um, you know, that, that sort of implied a certain amount of unfairness to how s- people were being um, being compensated, which definitely there was always a kernel of truth to it, or often was um, resentment toward the clubs, re- resentment toward promoters, resentment from promoters, and I just was kind of getting sick of it. So this piece was originally my attempt at sort of trying to understand and put a framework around. What is actually happening? Why does it feel like the world is shrinking? Why does it feel like it's so much harder to just be part of this thing that I love, which is making music, being um, being part of this conversation, and, and having parties, you know, in, in spaces that I think people always enjoyed to come out to, and and so it led to this this line of thinking. So in writing it, you know, I shared it with a few people here and there. One of the people was Nick Klein. You know, I, I shared it because I thought it was a good conversation piece. Um, I shared a draft version of it, and he basically pushed me to release it with the with the record after having read it. You know, feeling like he also wanted to push this conversation forward. He thought that it made a lot of sense. And for me, also, just the the form of a political pamphlet is something that I really miss. It's something that was part of my sort of political awakening and up and upbringing, and uh, I kind of like it. Um, it's sort of the. It's not a zine. It's not a. Um, it's not a magazine. It's a pamphlet. You know. So. And what kind of conversations are you having? You know, in that that are that is manifesting in that pamphlet that you're having with yourself, or that you're having with the ideas of you know uh, you know as you said, the music industry, in the pamphlet for people to kind of understand yeah um i think the central sort of axis that the the pamphlet is wrestling with and i I realize that the pamphlet itself is very much sort of just be wrestling with an idea and not necessarily coming to any specific strong conclusions on it but this the the issue i'm wrestling with is I think a central contradiction, which is on the one hand, um, the thing that gives music its value is not, you know, its commodification, but actually our impulse to create it without any reward. <laughs> um, it comes from a different place, is what I'm trying to say, than 
than the, the desire for reward, for the most part. You know, whatever that thing is that chooses us to create, nobody gets into music, certainly not in this era, with the idea of being rich or being rewarded for it. It's, you know, so, um, but that very fact is the reason, it's part of the reason why it can be sort of reduced to something that has no monetary value. And that, that means that it, it can become essentially free content for many of the platforms that exist today that, that accumulate money, you know, social media networks, um, streaming companies. It is the currency, it, it's, a, it's the, the raw material through which they accumulate capital, they accumulate profit, um, and they don't have to share that with musicians for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of a, it's a contradiction because it's the thing that makes a, the thing that we love the most about being creative is also the thing that makes it easiest for the for us us to have less and less time and power and resources to make it and uh, yeah and the the there's a lot more to say about that but like I feel like that's at the center of what I'm trying to wrestle with mm. in the in the pamphlet. There are so many conversations happening about how to, quote unquote, save our scene. But what I thought was really interesting that you brought up in your pamphlet was that the, quote unquote, scene, as we know today, was and is not inclusionary. And what is currently happening in this music industry model is that it's basically collapsing on itself. It was never sustainable. So from your perspective, how do we reimagine the music industry and communities and how can we survive for the next few years in the state of things? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I think, you know, it's hard to think about, you know, when we talk about a scene, everybody thinks of something different. It means something mm -hmm. different to whoever you ask it you know, who, whoever you say that word to, depending on their vantage point. You know, some people think of the scene as the music industry itself. Some people think of the scene as their group of friends. Some people think of the scene as like a queer scene or, you know, some other group of people uh, that are grouped together for a reason that has nothing to do with music. But, um, but in general, I think that what we all do as musicians is we form networks with other people. We're mm -hmm. constantly sort of finding ways to network and meet new people and share ideas, share our you know share our work with other people, and that creates sort of a um, that it creates. On one hand, it breaks us out of isolation and uh, allows us to you know, have an audience, have meaning, have communication through our, our work. It also creates an opportunity for corporate marketing because that's exactly what they need. Um, mm. You know, every company is trying to find ways to break through to new, audience, new audiences to market to. Um, you know, marketing itself is a very cutthroat thing in the age, in the age of the internet, in the age of the digital age. Um, that has become, that competition has gotten increasingly intense. There's so much mm -hmm. oversaturation. There's so many signals coming at people. And, you know, some of the things that DJs do are quite unique in the world. 
in the sense that they create sort of visceral experiences that people remember mm -hmm. and corporations need that um marketing needs that so like we market you know we create networks that becomes something that is valuable um and that is part of what is going on when you think about you know um things going viral on youtube or facebook or <laughs> or mm -hmm. um you know on instagram you know that's part of what's going on when you are you know whenever you see something like when we had Red Bull Music Academy or, or sponsorships, um, Absolute Vodka sponsoring something on Boiler Room, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's essentially an attempt to capitalize on the networks that we create with each other. Mm. The thing is that I think that those mechanisms, they might pump money into a particular platform, but they, they don't expand that audience. They don't really have the ability or, or framework to expand that audience. Sometimes there's a slight expansion that might happen, but bringing new people in, that's something that often, you know, the, the music has to do that, we have to do that, um, you know, and so there, I think that the, I think that what, what we constantly see is sort of, it's a little bit of a snake eating its own tail. It is, we have a situation where um, the stakes rise, um, there's more money that goes into things. Uh, there is more and more pressure to sort of deliver high-profile artists to scale things up. Um, you know, it's not enough to have sort of a small show. Um, you have to constantly have a bigger and bigger show, and mm -hmm. uh, especially at the corporate level. But that trickles down. It's even true at the small small club level, the small bar level. You have to constantly bring in more and more people and um, you know, that's part of capitalism. It's it's a regular mm -hmm. part of things like, you know, in order to use these spaces, we have to accept some, we often have to accept some level of commodification. We have to sell drinks. We have to do, um, you know, we have to market something. Um, but a lot of that just ends up, either there's hyper competition, so there's a lot of different things happening. I, I know that one of the things that happened with events in San Francisco is that there would be four or five events with smaller and smaller audiences on a single night. So it became harder and harder to justify having the weirdest thing on the block. That's the first thing to go. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm talking a lot about the problem, but your question also had to do with the future. How do we reconstruct yeah. a renegade future? And um, or, or a different kind of scene. And, well, I think that basically there's no going back word. Everything is pretty much collapsed. Everything's mm -hmm. pretty much dismantled at this juncture. Um, at some point it will be reconstructed in some form and we can get into that. Um, but for now, I think that it's, it's not even a, it's not even a question. We don't have a choice. We have to, lean into the idea of um, just focusing on what we're putting out in the world. Like, um, I was talking to somebody about their label the other day, mm -hmm. and they were considering, you know, all kinds of things that we used to think about. Like, well, is this a good season to put out a release? Are people interested in buying things at this time? Um, are Is it too overcrowded, you know, out there? And, you know, I was just like, we, we came to the conclusion in this conversation that no, like none of that 
matters. There is no scene. There is no season, you know, <laughs> for, for music. All you can focus on is what are you putting out there? Mm-hmm. What are you producing? I think that it would be good for us to collectively as music listeners as well to to be intentional and to be to be supportive in not in a moral way but just in a, just to realize how lucky we are to have all of this you know all of these shows and sets and community based media out there um, to put it you know to to put it lightly I think that one of the things that we can do is be a little bit more intentional about listening and I don't expect large numbers of people to be part of this right now in a lot of ways I mean there's some streams that get a lot of listeners I'm sure Mm -hmm. but you know I'm happy to do a stream for like eight to ten people sometimes even five people three people I've done it all you know um and whatever, I was also always happy to DJ to that number of people in person. Uh, you know, it, it's never been a big part of it. But I think that one of the things that, you know, um, that we did here at this house during Mutech, for instance, is sort of we set up a, like a projector, you know, or sometimes we set up on our screen. We put the the shows on sort of the, the good monitors, good speakers, and really made an event out of attending the event. And we don't just do that for music. We, I've done that for sort of more local showcases, like the Ratskin showcases or things like that. I think it's like mm-hmm. make an intentional point of, of enjoying this for now. I think that like in this particular moment, you know, like we have these, you know, there are shows on Sutra FM, which we're on right now. Um, I think, you know, making a point of listening to certain shows. It's not, you know, you know, NTS has a lot of programming too. It doesn't just have to be Sutro. There's tons of community radio out there right now that is killing it. I mean, I think it's the content has been incredible. I think that that we have to think about how we're putting things into the world and just focus on that. And there's not really I mean, standing out used to be really important. How do you stand out? at this point there's so many different things coming out a lot of it is great you know you need to sort of find your way and i think that even like the role of things like record labels djs um you know they these are curators these are people sort of bringing together and sort of presenting a vision and you might say like there's so much oversaturation there's so many different visions out there i think just commit to it like Make a commitment to an underground or, or renegade or off-the-grid artist the way you would to sort of the, the way that people commit to sort of big, you know, legendary artists. Um, you know, if people sort of would listen to sort of a, 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 like a local producer um, like Salim X, the way they commit to like Autecker, you know, like mm-hmm. it just, I think that would that would make a big difference, and I think it's worth it. I think somebody like that deserves it, um, and uh, it, that'll make a big difference. I don't know. That's th- maybe that's part of the answer. I know there, I w- but sort of that's where we are right now in terms of what happens next. Mm, that could be another conversation as things start picking up again. So I had a thought about how 
we, as the renegade, um, have in a way of being scrappy and DIY have moved our platform online. So a lot of DJs are starting their own podcasts. They are doing their own live stream on Twitch. They're doing their own visuals. They're having their friends do visuals for them. So this is very much built on a platform and a perspective of our own experience being renegade and just throwing something together. But what's really interesting about the online platform is that, of course, it's infinite. But at the same time, we are now competing with people who are used to making money off of art. And so bigger labels and um, people with bigger budgets, boiler room, I'm just going to say that, um, are using this sort of renegade model and using their larger budgets. And we are in some ways in competition with them in a completely different way. So how do you imagine what that will look like as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that the online space is interesting. It's, you know, they're basically, in certain ways, they're, like, it's removed a lot of the barriers that used to be there. There's, in a lot of ways, no rules. But yeah. in at the same time, they, you know, that makes it, maybe that makes it less interesting as a place where people want to br- break rules because the rules aren't there to begin with. Um uh, not to say there aren't any rules. Obviously, there's tons of muted tracks on, in, mm-hmm. on Twitch and things like that that um, that remind you about property rights and all kinds of other things. But um, but in certain ways, it, it I see what you're saying about competition. But in other ways, I don't think it feels the same like competition the same way. In the sense that it doesn't actually deprive us of our platform. Mm. That you know, are we competing for an audience? Maybe, but I don't really think it's necessary to think about it that way, mm. um, because if we have five or twenty people listening to a stream, um, you know, or some streams, you know, I've been on or, or, or participated in are like twenty, thirty people, mm. um, which is healthy. That would have been a nice show, in person. Um, I don't think it really has anything to do with the sort of bigger. Ma- you know, bigger name events. So I suppose there's a certain competition for time, I guess, mm. uh, for people's listening time. But given that everything gets archived, it sort of doesn't feel that way to me. Like when I'm doing my shows, I'm never putting in any time thinking about sort of the thinking about it in terms of competition with those that is a different it's different than the in-person events because competition i mean there's just only so many but like you it was just more obvious if if you were indirect competition if an event happened it was bound by time and space in a way that made the competition a lot sharper so in certain ways i i think it yeah i think that that's kind of a nice i feel like a, a certain amount of relief to not be in as direct competition with them Mm. Yeah. And kind of related to this, but 
I feel like a lot of industry people also throw around the concept of underground almost as a marketing term. And you mentioned renegade. So what does renegade mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that renegade is sort of something that I'm interested in promoting as the idea of it being outside of the bounds of the, I guess that renegade to me is, is being outside of the boundaries that have been set up by our the current system, be, you know, it, like as you said, because the term underground has kind of been robbed of a lot of its value, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's partially inspired by the actual events, renegades that happen all over, um, that take care, take advantage of outdoor space that are actually, you know, people being pushed out of, um, of, you know, warehouses and underground spaces through the process of displacement and gentrification like we've talked about before are increasingly moving into the outdoors, um, even the urban outdoors. And I, I think, you know, that's something that's always happened. You know, renegades are a long tradition, but I think that, um, especially in the Bay Area, they became more and more um, common over the last few years. Uh, and a lot of different types of people used it. And that's how, if, you know, in my opinion, that's how a lot of the most exciting younger artists are finding a platform and getting together. And that's how people, you know, young people are getting together in, in the most exciting ways. So, um, so Renegade to me, essentially, it's it's a way of kind of creating um, events and spaces and platforms that are not part of the commodified music industry maybe at all in some cases you know like where we just exchange ideas uh you know we exchange music um without expectation for a term but just out of the love of it and um yeah and that doesn't mean at all there doesn't have to be a rule around it you know like if you charge a cover it's not renegade or if you try for music that's that's not what i mean at all if you make if you try to make music off money off the music, it's it's not renegade. None of that is true. I think those, none of those things, there's no, uh, you know, there's no straight line, you know, or strict boundary between, um, between those things. But I just think that um, the attempt of sort of not working through the established music structures, um, I think, you know, or at least making your compromise with them in a way that isn't, doesn't sort of um, give them all the power and turn over your own independent spirit um, because sometimes we have to compromise. So you know, everybody makes some level of compromise. We don't all own sound systems. We don't all own. We don't own space. We don't have access to these things. So in some ways, the resources to throw an event, to uh, you know, put out a record, all of those things are borrowed in some way. Bandcamp is a platform we compromise with. You know, um, so yeah, that I think Renegade is kind of about that spirit, and uh, I don't want it to just turn into another marketing term either. So I'm not promoting it in in the that sense, but I think I I do want to say that sort of that spirit of trying to trying to build something separate is important to the Renegade idea. Shall we patent it to protect it? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> Um, so I was reflecting on a 
a conversation I had with a friend years and years and years ago. And that conversation was really interesting because it was about seeking closure. And the conclusion that uh, that person and I had come to is that in a certain sense, especially with relationships, there kind of isn't really this thing called closure because it's a way of hanging on to an idea or a relationship, etc. And recently I was listening to a podcast with a fairly famous psychologist named Pauline Boss, and she was the one who coined the term ambiguous loss. And ambiguous loss is pretty much about how loss, there is no promise of resolution. We are currently living in a very intense state of ambiguous loss. We are experiencing grief and suffering without really having a way of engaging with it to have something like closure. And that includes the loss of quote-unquote normal everyday life, the losses of our own freedoms, and maybe in a lot of ways, losses within our renegade music community. How do you cope with this loss, this ambiguity? And how do you think others in this music world can do the same? Well, that's a really intense question. Okay. (laughs) Um, All right. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. I mean, I think that the, it can be answered in so many different dimensions, personally, politically, um, you know. Um, but, yeah, when I think about loss, there, there's the, you know, in the Buddhist sense of, of things, I'm not, I'm not in any way sort of a practice Buddhist, but I think there's, a, there's something to the idea of sort of embracing the churn of life, mm-hmm. right? There's something that I I think the, the impermanence of things and coming to terms with that on a personal level is important to, for, I mean, pretty basically everyone has to deal with that one way or another, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we cling to things from our youth, from our, you know, from life, you know, even as we age, we cling to sort of our young bodies, our young minds, our young ideals. Um, And right now, you know, with so much of the way we live life being completely overhauled and changed, and the idea that that might be the case for a long period of time, in some ways forever, um, is something that I think, you know, especially, you know, for younger people, but maybe for a little bit for everybody, um, is going to be really hard. to deal with, it's it's sort of like a crash course in that personal lesson and impermanence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in one like sort of philosophical lesson, um, I think there's something to be said for kind of em- embracing the idea that things will always sort of change. Nothing is forever, and that you have to sort of find ways to reinvent, you know, the things that are important to you and sort of stick to your ideals, your principles um, in a big way. It's certainly a struggle that I've had in my life. And as I get older, it's more and more pronounced. Um, 
but that's only one side of things. I think that, you know, and it's something that, you know, that, that piece of it is going to happen through the loss of people, you know, death, um, you know, you know, the death of industries and the death of people and all, all of those things, uh, will, will cause you to, to have to think that way. But the other side of it is that, you know, the idea of what capitalism does, which mm-hmm. I think is to constantly wreak instability, um, and it's not like a natural impermanence we're talking about, but actually a level of instability and uh, scarcity and chaos that is not necessary. It should not be a problem that I that I want to gather with people with loud music and um, you know play music and have, dance to music and share that music with my friends and have other people share music and. Um, but because of capitalism, I can only do that if we are selling a lot of drinks or all the rest of it. Um, and when that is shut down, you know, and we have a crisis like this, um, you know, it threatens the very possibility that that will ever be able to happen again for somebody like me or you or others, people who've lived on the fringes of this culture. Um, there's actually, ironically, to think about one of the most famous pamphlets in history, uh, a quote from the Communist Manifesto that gets into this um, and actually speaks to the things we're talking about. Do you mind if I read it real quick? Go for I it. Thought I, I just have it right here. I brought it up. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it says, uh, the bourgeoisie cannot exist without constantly revolutionizing the instruments of production and thereby the relations of production and with them the whole relations of society. Conservation of the old modes of production in unaltered form was, on the contrary, the first condition of existence for all earlier industrial classes. Constant revolutionizing of production, uninterrupted disturbance of all social conditions, everlasting uncertainty and agitation distinguished the bourgeois epoch from all earlier ones. All fixed, fast-frozen relations with their train of ancient and venerable prejudices and opinions are swept away. All new formed ones become antiquated before they can ossify. All that is solid melts into air. All that is holy is profaned. And I, I think that that sort of is the nature of capitalism. And it's certainly the nature of things today where um, you know, what we build is constantly being swept away. And what capitalism builds themselves, they, they have to sweep away. There's sort of a, a constant churn in our lives that it, it doesn't have to be that way, but it is because of the profit system. And I think that that's something that means that we have to fight to win, you know? Like the, the personal element that I talked about earlier where we have to get to used to impermanence and, you know, I think that that's important because we don't win every fight, you know? And we do have to find new ways. And if we don't evolve, you know, that's a problem in and of itself. But we also can't just give things up because, mm-hmm. uh, they're, because they're constantly being taken from us. We have to find ways to survive and persist. And, uh, and that's sort of what the renegade idea is about. Well, I can only say that I hope for a renegade future. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> there will be another future too, a, a non-renegade one, and we'll hopefully we can survive by building something for ourselves. Well, speaking of uncertain future, do you have any releases or projects coming up 
that we can engage in mostly on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, I have a a collaborative project that's exciting that's coming up really soon. Um, You know, we'll announce that on the internet (laughs) pretty soon, but it's not quite officially announced yet, so I'll just wait a couple weeks before that's out there. And like most other people, I've been working on various musical projects on the side for some time now during lockdown. I have a lot of work. I would love to sort of put it into an album and maybe self-release or put it out through Left Hand Path at some point. Um, Yeah, I hope that that can happen. But I'm not too worried about it happening sooner or later because really I just want to put something I'm proud of out in the world. Absolutely. And you also, of course, on this platform, on Sutra FM, have a radio show. That's right. Every Friday night, 10 to 11 p.m., either me or Jason Palastri, occasionally guests, although not that often, um, play live, basically. I, either we play live or we play rerun. But these days, most often, one of us plays live. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually just live vinyl sets. Very different than the set that I'm doing on this show. Um, usually those are kind of a lot more ravey for your, for your Friday night. And what do you have planned for this particular mix on this very dark Halloween night? Yeah, I think mix is basically a, uh, it's a patch of pumpkins. It's, uh, (laughs) it's a little, it's a little scary. It's a little sexy. Um, viscous. I hope you find it that way anyway. Yeah, maybe viscous. Um, yeah, and not really any particular genre, um, which is the way I like it. Um, sometimes. Yeah, so. Um. Fantastic. Uh, well, you are listening to Infinite Beat. I am Topazu. This is Sutra FM. And you're about to listen to a mix by Nihar. Thank you.